Hey folks, welcome to the Aspire Natural Health Podcast. My name is Dr. Tim Gersmar. At Aspire Natural Health, we are experts at treating digestive issues, autoimmune disease, and other hard to treat cases. Our goal with this podcast is to bring you interesting and informative discussions and topics, whether that's with us or other experts and interesting people. Listen, we want to reach as many people as possible and help as many lives as we can. This podcast is and always will remain free of charge. So we'll bring you the expertise, but we do need your help. There are two simple things that you can do to help us in our efforts to reach as many people as possible. Whether this is your first podcast or one of many, if you found these podcasts helpful, please do two things. The first is share it with any friends or people you know who might find it valuable. Again, it's free. Please drop them a line and let them know about the podcast. The second thing, which is really important, is to please head on over to iTunes and give us preferably a five-star review. Whatever you think we're worth, we're striving here to produce a five-star podcast. And it would really help if you would take a minute to drop us a five-star review. That way, iTunes ranks us highly. Other people can see and hear about us, and we can succeed in spreading the message of how to be informed about your health and how to get some help. So please share this podcast with a friend, head on over to iTunes, and leave us a five-star review. All right? Without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hey, folks. Here at PaleoFX, we are sit- still sitting out on the patio, and we're getting some nice, beautiful blue skies. We had incredible thunderstorms and lightning the last couple of nights. Um, was kind of concerned that I'd be walking here and get struck by lightning, but uh, thankfully, not yet at least. I am sitting down with the lovely and awesome Kinsey Jackson Aww. talking to me. Yes, That's indeed. So sweet. Awesome. Thank you, Dr. G. Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about who you are? My name is Kinsey Jackson. I'm a certified nutrition specialist and a functional medicine lover, and I'm the content manager at Paleo Plan, also a writer and blogger there. But my heart is in my clinical practice, which for the last 20 or so years has been focused on the body and massage therapy and Mm -hmm. like a physical therapy approach to things, Mm -hmm. like a functional movement. And within the last five years, I got my nutrition degree after I got really sick. Um, after 25 years on a vegetarian diet, I found myself bald, crippled, and in and out of a wheelchair. So I adopted the paleo diet. It mm-hmm. basically saved my life. Mm. Um, and kind of the rest is history. Like, I love paleo. And I think that there is just this huge connection between, like, functional food, functional movement, and... That's sort of my gig. Awesome. Yeah. Well, why don't we got a few different things to talk about today. So why don't we start by, um, tell people your story a little bit. Obviously, you know, paleo is kind of gaining in public awareness that people are aware of it. And um, certainly there have been some some awesome stories about how people have turned their life around. So whatever you want to share, why don't you tell people a little about your story? Well, I kind of just gave you a little snippet of yeah. it. But um, yeah, it's this whole journey has essentially made me redefine the word healthy. I spent, like I said, 25 years eating a vegan and a vegetarian diet, and I believed that was healthy. Mm-hmm. And I was sprouting my grains and everybody around, you know, I was doing what I thought was right and what was healthy. And everyone in my reality was like, oh, I wish I ate more like you. Mm-hmm. And I've always been thin. So I think people just like assume that if you're thin, you're healthy. Right. And I certainly didn't look sick on the outside, but slowly my body was deteriorating. And when I was in my early 20s, my thyroid crashed. And then in my late 20s, I developed alopecia areata, which is where you start going bald. And I lost a big old circular patch of hair off the top of my head and it was mortifying as a 20-something-year-old girl. Sure. 
Um, but still, you know, the doctors are like, oh, steroids, and oh, it's genetic, and there's no cure, and this and that. Um, but then I, <clears throat> as a massage therapist, I slowly was basically becoming crippled, un unable to use random joints. I would just, like, all of a sudden, my elbow would be incapacitated. All of a sudden, I'd be, like, dropped to the floor, and I couldn't be standing anymore, and I didn't know what was happening. It took huh. me about six months to finally get diagnosed with what two uh, rheumatologists have called lupus, and two rheumatologists have called RA, because blood right. po is positive for everything but right. you know now i've realized that really all autoimmune diseases are kind of the same thing you know it doesn't really matter what it's called and i don't even really like to put myself into a box although my primary symptoms were in my joints and in my skin and in my hair and actually in my endocrine okay it was all mm, over the place so all over the place yeah. absolutely right but um so by the grace of god my naturopathic doctor at the time, Dr. Mm -hmm. Patricia Elliott up in Bellingham, Washington, she mm -hmm. basically looked at me and she's like, you have to start eating meat. Mm -hmm. And I looked at her and I'm like, you're flipping crazy. Mm -hmm. I'm never going to eat meat. Meat's mm -hmm. gross. Meat's bad. Meat's murder. Mm -hmm. Like repeat, you know, like mm -hmm. that's what I've been telling myself for 20 years. Mm -hmm. But um, she handed me a copy of Rob Wolf's book, The Paleo Solution. And at the time I had a bachelor of science and I'd studied chemistry. So I had like a scientific background, thank God. And Rob's book really spoke to me and he was hysterical in a painfully like real way. It made me really understand how it was that my vegetarian diet could have caused this intestinal hyperpermeability, could have caused the leaky gut through the eating the grains and the legumes, which was like a ma the main protein source of my diet. Sure, sure. So in retrospect, it makes sense why I was so sick so early on because I ate way too many grains and legumes. Mm -hmm. And when I discovered that, it was honestly the second hardest thing that's ever happened to me. Second to losing my father, my mm -hmm. beloved father, mm -hmm. starting to eat meat again has been the most difficult thing I've mm -hmm. ever done. It's mm -hmm. challenging mm -hmm. and it still is to this day. Mm. But within two days of not eating grains and legumes and starting to eat a little meat, I started to go into what I knew was remission. Awesome. This brain fog cleared that I'd had mm. for, I don't, maybe my whole life. Mm -hmm. I could see, I could think, I could remember things all of a sudden. And slowly, I mean, it took me a couple of months and I did spend about nine months on the autoimmune protocol, mm -hmm. but, and it, you know, it's been six years down the road and I've been able to reintroduce a lot of foods back into my diet, like some dairy. So I'm actually more primal, you know, often on paleo primal. But the point is that I am amazed at how the body can heal. Here I was, you know, in my 20s being told I had to take these medications for the rest of my life and that they would probably damage my organs and and I said no. And I and to my doctors, you know, like, I'm going to do this with food. And my doctor said, that's not possible. It's mm -hmm. a coincidence that you're getting better. And so to me, this is just, it's, we're in a really exciting time right now. Yeah. Because we're finally starting to have enough evidence. Just people are getting better. Whether right. or not we have studies that are going to say what we need them to say for, you know, it to be officially accepted. There are people left and right who are changing their diets and realizing that these chronic inflammatory diseases are rooted in the, our diets and our lifestyles. Right. And it isn't just all about diet. And I know mm, we wanted right. to talk about that today. Right. Like, it's not just diet. But that's a huge part of it. And it was for me. Oh, but absolutely. then, like, fast forward a couple of years after I changed my diet, I started having flares again. Mm. And I was like, what's up with that? Mm -hmm. And as it turns out, I was a freaking type A stress case. I was totally a perfectionist, mm -hmm. that girl that got like straight A's all through school and beat everybody in. I was like so perfect. And that was killing me. Yeah. And now what I understand that we are going to talk about in a little bit is like anytime our body perceives a threat, anytime our amygdala says, oh, I'm in danger, 
we produce inflammation because mm-hmm. that's our one and only stress response. Right. And so I was kind of doing the same thing, you know, like diet's a huge stressor. Absolutely. But my attitude and mentality, I've also learned I've had to retrain the way I think about things, retrain the way I uh, breathe. Right. Like it's humbling when you realize that you, the solution per se to our most of our issues involves relearning the very, very basic things like how to eat, how to walk, how to breathe. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> sorry about that. Um, so, you know, it's interesting because I, I, I have come more and more that a lot of my focus is on the basics and people don't necessarily want to do them. They're not like the sexiest things. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. for example, there's a, there's a neat company downstairs, right? They've got electrodes and they can attach them to you and you can supplement your workout or do some crazy. And it, it's neat, right? It's yeah. sexy. It's exciting. Yeah. It's, ooh, can I get that that neat thing? Um, and, and there's a place for all of that stuff. And so in some cases, there's a real need for things like that. But but fundamentally, so much of it is is just the very basic things, um, especially so people are getting pretty, pretty like keyed in that diet is important. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I always tell people, look, if you're consi- if you've got some issues and you're considering a diet change, the worst thing that's going to happen when you change your diet is you just generally become a healthier person, right? right? You know, cutting out the crap out of your diet, eating more nutritious food. The worst thing that happens is you just generally, it doesn't affect your symptoms whatsoever, but your body becomes healthier, your mind becomes healthier, and then whatever else you have to do becomes a little bit easier, right? right. And then in some cases, um, we have people go completely into remission just by just by changing their diet. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. So you really have nothing to lose other than uh, just a few pounds. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, a bunch and, of inflammation. and not to put not to put it down because sometimes look, changing for you, like you said, changing your diet was really difficult. Yeah. Oh, right. Really? Yeah, not you've got, easy. You've got all the stigma, all the you know, and uh, redefining healthy. Like right. I'm saying, like what right. I thought was healthy was no longer healthy, and now these things I told myself were unhealthy, I had to redefine as healthy, like meat. You right. know, and right. it was extremely confusing. Right. Which is why I think a lot of people have a hard time making that change. Because it requires us to redefine things that we have believed is the truth. Right. Absolutely. But fundamentally, I mean, what we have to say is, look, results are what matter, right? That's right. That's in the pudding. And, you know, again, any any diet, any diet whatsoever, including paleo, you know, look, may not be right for you. No matter how many, look, we're here talking about how Kinsey saw some great benefit from the paleo diet. You know, here at Paleo Effects... People here are those who have gotten great results. It's really helped their lives. But fundamentally, look, it's results and not dogma. And so if you've tried, if you've truly given the paleo diet a try and, and you've found that it just doesn't work for you, listen, respect that. Listen to that and, mm-hmm. and find what does work for you. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, we can trot out scientific studies. We can trot out all these, you know, personal cl- clinical, like what I've seen work in the clinic, what individuals have seen work for them. But nothing beats you know, right. your own lived experience and which will change. It'll shift. Like right. what you need today may not be what you need next tomorrow or next year. Right. And right. I, and I think that's important to realize too. Well, it ties into this perfectionism. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, cause fundamentally look, if, if you, if you, when we get away from the biochemistry, you look at autoimmunity in some way and it's, it's your own body attacking itself. Right. Right. Which is a kind of, if you will, self-hatred. Right. Your body is destroying right. parts of itself. Right. And, you know, pretty much universally when we dig into when, when we get past that first layer, which is biochemistry and all these pieces, and we get down a couple levels into some of the mental emotional pieces. And this is hard work for people. 
you know, we find that there's that perfectionistic tendency. There's some kind of early tr life and childhood traumas. Right. There's kind of this, the, and it, it may not be <clears throat> recognized on, on a conscious level, but there, there's this self-hatred and we dig yeah. down into it and we find that it's there. And, and as goofy and corny as it sounds, but part of the healing of autoimmunity is, is love. The self-love, you know? Yeah. I totally believe that's true. Yeah. And like on a like nervous system level, yeah. you know, all of those stressors are our brain just not feeling safe in one way or another. Like, right. And identifying, trying, you know, our best to identify the areas of our life that we don't feel safe and figuring out what it is that we need to do to feel safe. Right. But generally, it's creating a boundary. Right. And like that. So there's just this whole, you know, multifaceted approach that we really ultimately will take if yeah. for healing like autoimmune disease in this example right because if like we were talking about and we're probably getting ahead of ourselves but the brain if it perceives it's not safe it's going to be creating inflammation it's going to be in sympathetic nervous response you know fight right. or flight right and the one and only you know that's what happens with fight or flight we produce inflammation well i mean things. right so so let's dig into that a little so the basically the body has two modes mm -hmm. that it's in right so the the technical term is sympathetic and parasympathetic at least the autonomic part of the nervous system has <sighs> two modes right right fundamentally you know we can break it down into kind of fight or flight that's the sympathetic or or another way is thinking kind of up active going doing you mm -hmm. know uh, action motion um and then there's parasympathetic or rest and digest so it's the calming down healing like restoring rebuilding kind of mode and we can just say in general this modern western society is extremely heavily focused on always up active doing all the time right. because rest is sin it's a you're being lazy you're like you you know you're wasting your life um you know recently i watched um i started watching michael pollan's cooked series nice. have you seen that no, one? Oh yeah it's on anybody it. out there it's on netflix um it's a really uh, i i read his book really good book um talking about obviously the need to take back uh, cooking essentially, right? Mm -hmm. The whole process and, um, not necessarily like gourmet chef kind of cooking, but just your down home, like simple, basic preparation of food. Right. And, and we've outsourced, we've outsourced it in, um, uh, you know, in the name of getting more stuff done. Like if I don't have to cook, then right. I can go do a bunch of other things. Right. right? And, uh, and fundamentally it's not working so well, but in the beginning of the first, the first episodes about fire and the use of fire and cooking, mm, and he cool. goes into barbecue and, and nice. kind of all of that. It, it, but what struck me, what I came away with, cause I'd read the book, what I came away with most was in the very beginning, uh, they were following around this little group of Aborigines. So Aboriginal Australian peoples. Mm -hmm. And, uh, they went and they were hunting and they caught these like lizards and then they took them back and they built some fires and they were cooking them and the thing that struck me the so these were uh they had gone out into the bush or out into the wild right and they were hunting and then, and then cooking this and kind of reconnecting with their aboriginal way of life and beliefs and everything else and um but what struck me the most was how incredibly um what's the best way to say this how relaxed their even their movements like they were yes. moving slowly uh there was like they showed a guy building a fire and it was just like this it was this really slow process and me right. the western you know modern guy with a zillion things on his to-do list is like dude hurry up yes. and get that thing built like right. i got stuff to do right. and then you realize like so much of 
where we came from, our hunter-gatherer lifestyle, so much of it was just very slow-paced. Yeah. No books, no, no TV, no computers, yeah. no, there you know. There's no reason to rush. There's to no reason anything. to, yeah. They probably didn't even know the concept of rushing unless they were being like, well, yeah. You, basically, you rushed once in a while, right? Yeah, when you something wanted to, once in a while when something when wanted to eat you, away yeah. from being dinner or towards your towards your dinner. dinner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you know, we see a lifestyle that you know, whatever, whether it's eighty percent, ninety percent, whatever. But most of the time, they're pretty chill. Mm-hmm. And they're relaxing and there's not, uh, yes, there's very real danger. And, and the interesting thing is, you know, we've hijacked a system that was built around protecting us from danger, yet most of us, most of the time, have absolutely no danger whatsoever in our right. lives. That's right. Right? But our I mean, brain thinks yes. that there's all this constant danger around. Right. Right. And in a way, you know, it's interesting because we're going to get into this a little bit, but anxiety, right, is a very, in our natural state, if you will, back when we were hunter-gatherers, is an incredibly protective trait, right? You hear some rustling in the grass, and it might just be the wind blowing the grass, right? Mm -hmm. But if you don't actually, like, wait, what? And you take a look and you see, is that actually a tiger that's in the grass? If you're just like, no, no worries, right? Then you probably... It's all good. Yeah, you probably got eaten, right? (laughs) So anxiety that is such a big problem in our society today was actually a really beneficial trait. Absolutely. It was a survival mechanism. It was a survival mechanism. Mm -hmm. But you, you know, again, you, you look at kind of what we what we can infer about what these patterns were and so there were these short bursts of anxiety like looking around making sure everything was safe in a really low stress low key you know environment time didn't really exist i mean there's days and there's nights and seasons pass and that's about it yeah you know um so so we have these two main systems the sympathetic fight Mm -hmm. or flight parasympathetic rest and digest Mm -hmm. and we can see again Historically, probably most of the time we're in that rest and digest kind of chilling and not really mm-hmm. doing very much mode. And then periodically we're bumping into fight or flight again, either running away from something that's trying to make us its dinner yeah. or running after something else trying to make it our dinner, <laughs> basically. Right. right. And now we live in an environment that is that's flipped backwards. Yeah, it's right? opposite. You know, most of the time, most people are in fight or flight. Yeah. Again, and the craziness is most of the time we don't really have anything to fight or flight. Right. Right. I mean, it's this this idea now we talk about first world problems. And that's kind of what we're saying, like being stuck in traffic sucks. Yeah. Right. But compared to not having any food to eat. That's right. Not as big of a deal. Right. 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 So, yeah, like this hyper reaction response that a lot of people I'm, I, I like to tell my clients like is this worth just ask yourself because a lot of the people that end up coming to see me happen mm-hmm. to be women with autoimmune disease and guess right. what they happen to be type A personality too right and it's not surprising to me but a lot of people actually have never like correlated their the way that they think with the potential for a negative outcome right like, and with the fact that when we're stressed we create inflammation right so if you know i'm stressed out in traffic and honking and screaming and there's nothing i can do about it right and i'm freaking out like i just ask clients because you know you work with people like that and you i train them like how is this worth your inflammation right is this worth your autoimmune disease and right. actually this is how i had to train myself to get over 
being a stress case, basically feeling like I needed to control every single thing in my life was asking myself, you know, I start to worry about something. Is this worth my inflammation? Is this worth being sick? Do you want to go bald? Is that, was yeah. this worth it? Yeah. Guess yeah. what? It's not. Yeah. There are very few things that are worth my stress at this point. And there are very few things that ultimately I can control. Right. Yep. And I do like that saying adapt or die because it's true. Like if we can't adapt to circumstance and change and be okay with the fact that things, the only thing constant is change, mm-hmm. it's going to be tough. Absolutely. You know, this is one of the issues that I see uh, a little bit with the biohackers, um, you know, and, and um, talk, maybe talk some other time about that, but people who are really trying to optimize their life down to the smallest detail. Yes. And hey, if that floats your boat and you want to do it, right. fine. But the issue is, you know, again, life is unpredictable and and ultimately the idea that we can control our life down to the second and, sure. and maximize every single moment and activity. I mean, it for me, I can just say for me, I kind of went to that place and then came away from it because sort of the amount of of tension kind of trying into trying to control everything ultimately just I don't think it's worth it you know yeah we tell people I mean ultimately it's like okay look if you have to be super strict on your diet or or other aspects of your life uh, because you're sick right then you need to do that right but ultimately the goal is to is to get a person to a place where they don't have to do that anymore I agree agree. right you have to sometimes have a hardcore intervention that is stressful right you sometimes you have to make a situation more stressful before it can get better right and right. it's interesting because most people I work with, when they change their diet, they do get a little worse before they get better. Right. Like, the, it is more stressful. Yeah. And that's, I think, why a lot of people don't end up sticking with things, too. Right. Right. Well, and it's, it's scary. Be- it's scary. To get worse. And I mean, I got certainly got worse on my diet, like, after a while because I was on prednisone. And once I tapered off my prednisone, everything went, like, way worse again. And right. I was terrified. I right. thought, I have to get back on this. And the diet's not working. But right. you ride through it. And time is our friend. Yeah. And I think we need to make that our mantra because time is our friend. Well, I mean, it's the other side, right? We understandably, we always want everything now. Yeah. You know, and one of the hardest things uh, to, you know, when people come to see me and they're sick and we talk about, hey, this is, you know, going to take some time. And one of the standard questions I have is, look, are you willing to, to commit to at least six months of work? Mm-hmm. Because it's, it's a starting place. And, you know, a lot of people say no and a lot of people say yes. And then what we find is a lot of people say yes. But then when they yeah, get into it, all of a sudden it's like, right. it's like I've been a month. It's been a month. Why aren't I seeing big changes? And yeah. you're trying to remind them, listen, it's okay. Six, at least six months of work here. You know, and, uh, and, and it, there's a lot of that. And, and I understand, you know, I mean, we always, if we don't feel good, obviously we want it fixed yesterday, yeah, yeah. you know, but, it's the American way. well, it's, <laughs> I don't know. I think it's, it's part of being human. Way. It's part of humans too, yeah. you know, <clears throat> but, but it, it is, I mean, you know, give yourself time. I y- like to tell myself time is my friend because yeah. when I tell myself that I'm less stressed thinking that things need to happen right away. Right. Right. And right. I'm more efficient. When I'm more relaxed, I'm yeah. actually working more efficiently right. than when I'm trying to multitask and get everything done. And oh my gosh, I don't, you know, yeah. it's amazing how much I, my own productivity increases when I slow down my well, mind. Well, and the other part too is, you know, there's getting stuff done and there's also quality of life. Right. Right. So it's like at the end of your life, do you want to be able to look back and say, I got a lot of stuff done. Right. Right. Yeah, sure. Look, if you don't get anything done, you're going to have a lot of problems as well. But there's a balance between saying, you know, 
what do I need to get done and, and what's the quality of my life? I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's the universal story of, you know, and, and we've even heard it told here a number of times, like, hey, I made a lot of money and I still was miserable and my quality of life was terrible, yeah, you know? And so obviously, look, if you don't have any money, your quali- that's going to really impact your quality of life. Right. And, and, you know, help, you know, contribute to that unsafe feeling. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Look, if you don't know if you're going to be able to pay your rent right. Right. or that's buy food stressor. or, oh, 100%. A huge stressor. 100%, yeah. And, you know, people say, oh, money doesn't matter. But, I mean, to me, it's like, of course it matters. Of course you it does. You can't feel safe. Like, how right. do you get food unless you're in, like, a real out there live hunter gatherer living in Hawaii and climbing up fruit trees or whatever. Right. Uh, right. It is stressful to not know where you're going to buy your groceries or oh, if you're absolutely. going to be able to or bills or, but again, I think like for me, faith is a huge component of mm-hmm, this. I mm-hmm. trust that God and the universe will take care of me. Mm-hmm. And that to me is my medicine for that worry wart part of my mind that, mm-hmm. you know, it's, that wants me to be stressed out or that is on alert, you know, it doesn't want me to be stressed, but it's on alert and always looking for some danger. It's always looking for danger to be there. But that faith helps me to be like, I don't need to constantly be seeking out stress. I can actually seek out positive things in my life and have faith that I will be taken care of. And I do believe that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, we always ask people, you know, do they have some sort of faith practice mm-hmm. of some kind. Yeah. Um, it doesn't matter to me what your faith practice is. Obviously, uh, I and just say personally, I'm, I believe in love and tolerance and inclusion um, and, you know, well-being for people. Mm-hmm. But um, so if you're, if your particular beliefs don't, don't mesh that, I, I you know, my personal thing is, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, we need more love in our, in our lives, Absolutely. in our society, you know. And that self-love that you were talking Absolutely. about that kind of started this whole conversation about autoimmune and yeah. how it is a big learning how to love yourself yeah. is a big part of the medicine. Yeah. Well, look, you know, the, the, the opposite, if you will, of stressed out and freaked out is, is love and pleasure. Right. Right. Not necessarily momentary, like, you know, stuffing a cookie in your mouth, pleasure, but right. real kind of enjoyment. And that's where we also talk about social support, social connection, being, uh, you know, involved in, um, being involved, having a community around you yes. of people that you love and who love you back yeah. basically is, mm-hmm. is you incredibly, because yeah, yeah. Look, we, we can trace this back to some of our evolution, right? Human beings by themselves hanging out in the wild don't do so well, right? Sure. You're going to be someone's lunch before too long, <laughs> right? So we need a group around us. And, and, you know, it just goes back to in this day, I, I personally don't have any problems with social media, but I think, you know, that online connection needs to be balanced, mm-hmm. right? Do you have shallow online acquaintances that you can't really connect with and share with? Or have you met some, because I know plenty of people, you know, they may feel isolated in their community because of who they are, their beliefs or whatever, but they can reach out through the internet and mm-hmm. they can find other people who right. share those similar beliefs or, or orientations or like whatever yeah. it is. Oh, it can be a tool for and, and for find that. connection. And that's wonderful. And absolutely. I mean, what a gift that we now are able to connect with these people in this way that right. wasn't otherwise ever possible before. Absolutely. But then it can totally go the other direction. Well, it can. So, <laughs> so the issue is certainly not 
you know, whether your connections, not that the internet is bad, of course, or any, or social media is bad or whatever, but, but what is the quality of your connections? And we can say whether that's in person or whether that's virtual. If your connections are shallow and you, you don't, you can't really be yourself. You can't really open up, connect and share with people. You can't really exchange love back and forth between you. You don't feel safe being your authentic self. Then you're going to have problems and right. it doesn't matter whether it's again whether right. it's someone sitting across from you looking at yeah. looking at you or someone 10,000 miles away you know connecting right uh, your on brain the internet. is going to perceive that as a threat right and right. that in and of itself is enough to trigger fight or flight absolutely so so let's you know let's kind of dig into that so fight or flight obviously your body is saying look something is dangerous and yes. we have to be ready to deal with something dangerous right Right. I like thinking about it. Um, I taught anatomy and physiology for years, mm-hmm. so I like thinking about it from an anatomical perspective mm-hmm. and really like where the blood travels mm-hmm. in fight or flight. So mm-hmm. when we're in fight or flight, um, sympathetic nervous response, all the blood is rushing away from our digestive organs into our skeletal muscle, and it's preparing us to run away. Right. Versus in a parasympathetic state, rest and digest, all of the blood is rushing back into your organs, your digestive system to facilitate digestion. Peristalsis increases movement of food. And I think that's an interesting thing to think about because first of all, you know, when we're eating, when we're stressed out, right. there's our digestive organs are quite literally shut down. Yes. There is no blood in there. We yes. can't digest our food properly. We're not producing the stomach acid, right. which all weekend here at Paleo FX, we've been talking about how important stomach acid production is right. and how a lot of diseases and pathologies and overgrowths are related to this yes. low stomach acid production. Yes. So when we're in a chron- chronic state of fight or flight, we have simply just turned off our ability to digest food. Absolutely. And um, I was talking with my professor of biochemistry, Dr. Richard Lord. He's the chief engineer of uh, formerly Metametrics. It's now Genova Labs. Right, yeah. And I like to call him the house MD, like, you know, a real life house, like a functional house MD, because Mm -hmm. he gets reports from all these doctors around the world that are like stumped, you know, and they're like, what do you think? Yeah. And what he sees over and over and over is this condition of hypochlorhydria associated with all these various random chronic diseases. And just so hypochlorhydria means low stomach acid. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's the big, big... Hypo, low, chlorhydria, production of acid. Yeah. Chloride. Yep, yep. Um, And he's saying, so I I just remember this from one of his classes. It Mm -hmm. really spoke to me. And Mm -hmm. actually, I blogged about it on the Paleo Plan blog, but Mm -hmm. it's... In his opinion, one of the things that we can do to improve our state of health, maybe more than anything else, is to develop this attitude of gratitude, Mm. particularly at Mm -hmm. Mm mealtimes. And his way of getting into that attitude of gratitude is he has uh, suggested a timer, like a sand timer that you put on your table. And Mm -hmm. I started doing this. I got a five-minute sand timer. Mm -hmm. And so you sit down to your meal, and you turn the timer over. And you don't allow yourself to start eating until that five minutes has elapsed. Interesting. But what you do is Mm -hmm. you take some deep breaths. Mm -hmm. You signal your body like, oh, it's time for incoming nutrition. I'm going to prepare my digestive organs. You can, you know, your stomach starts producing more. You're putting yourself in parasympathetic. Yeah. You're getting ready. And then when you eat, you take your time, you masticate thoroughly, you know, you chew really well so that your food is mixed with the enzymes in your saliva so that you can literally get the most out of what you're eating. Because as the fellow we were talking to earlier said, it's not what you eat, it's what you absorb. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of folks who are dealing with malnutrition issues or like leaky gut or SIBO or whatever... A big part of that is they're not breaking down their food. By the time it gets to the small intestine, where the majority of 
absorption happens into the bloodstream, Mm -hmm. it can't be absorbed if it's still chunky food. Like we need it a liquid at that point. Right, right. And broken down. And if we don't have enough hydrochloric acid in our stomach to break that food down, if we haven't chewed our food well enough, we're swallowing chunks of stuff. It's going to make a lot of work for our small intestine. That's, I mean, we're seeing a lot of small intestine pathology, base pathologies, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, autoimmune disease, for example. Sure. That's what I wrote my thesis on. The implications of intestinal hyperpermeability and the connection to leaky gut. And that's like, we know this. We know that autoimmune and leaky gut go hand in hand. Yep. Well, like, why the leaky gut? In my opinion, yeah, it's about the foods we're eating, but it's also about being stressed when we're eating. Sure. So, and then the other part of this is, so you're eating your food, you know, you've done your five minutes, you've prepared your body, you've increased your stomach acid production, you're eating your meal, now your meal's over. Instead of popping right up after your meal, Mm -hmm. because what happens when we stand up after we've eaten is the sphincter at the bottom of our stomach pops open and partially digested food dumps into our small intestine. Mm. We need to allow time for full acidification for all those proteins, because, you know, we have to take up individual amino acids Mm -hmm. in the small intestine. Mm -hmm. So if if one of the main functions of... Uh, stomach acid is to unwind this like three-dimensional ball of yarn which is a protein Mm -hmm. first into an individual strand which is like a string of amino acids and then to break them into their tiny individual amino acids all of that has to happen in the stomach in order for individual amino acids to be absorbed in the small intestine Mm -hmm. if food isn't spending enough time in the stomach that simply just does not have enough time to happen right and with our fast go paced world people are eating standing up people are eating running people are eating stressed you know So this last part of this developing an attitude of gratitude after you've taken some time before, you take some time after your meal and you sit there for five minutes after you've taken your last bite and you allow your stomach to do its thing on the proteins. Then you slowly and calmly get up and you can go on your way. And I like how, you know, Dr. Lord was saying this is, in his opinion, the biggest thing that people could do to improve overall trace mineral status, like from issues to anemia, to small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Um, Developing an attitude of gratitude just helps us get the most out of our food. And I really liked that because as I've studied this, you know, nervous system thing, it really, I think, comes down to people are spending too much time in sympathetic and not enough time in parasympathetic. And there's a number of different stressors that can put us in sympathetic in this fight or flight. Bad food being one of them. Yep. A stressed out attitude, a lack of faith, a lack of community, uh, low self-esteem, all of these things are s- all perceived by the amygdala as a threat that we don't feel safe. And I like to break it down to that because at the end of the day, that's what it is. Are you safe or are you not safe? Mm-hmm. And that's what the brain wants to feel safe. Right. Humans need to feel safe. Right. Are you in a crappy relationship? Does your husband not like acknowledge you? Like, what is it? Like, if you don't feel safe in your relationships, you're, you know, uh, there's the potential that you're going to be spending too much time in the sympathetic sort of state. And one of the things that I found super interesting because I have been a body worker for so long and I wanted to talk to you about this Mm -hmm. because Dr. G just gave this incredible lecture here at Paleo FX about nitric oxide, which is super fascinating. And if you guys don't know about nitric oxide, he'll tell you more about it. But it's a, the main vasodilator in the body. So it dilates your vessels, one of the main vasodilators. It dilates your vessels to increase, like, circulation. Mm-hmm. The, you know, your arteries get wider so more fluid can... More blood. More blood. <laughs> more blood fluid can yes. course through them. Yes. Uh, did you want to talk about this nitric oxide? Because... I had this thought, and I actually, the reason we're having this talk together right now is because I came up to Dr. G after his amazing lecture, and I said, I think there's a connection between this chronic sympathetic state and what you're talking about with nitric oxide. 
and we wanted to hash try to hash that out a little yeah. bit today. Yeah. Well, I will also say we're having this talk because you're awesome, uh, and I wanted whatever. to. Whatever, <laughs> you're awesome. As my dad always said, birds of a feather flock together. There you go. Yeah. So connection uh, is is important. Look, there's so many pieces about what you just said about kind of the stress and stomach yeah, acid. Yeah, there's Well, there's no, there's like, I have like five different things. I was like, oh, I could talk about this, that, and the other <laughs> thing. But just in brief, I'll say I do think this is critically important. People are like, well, why do I need to take stomach acid, right? Mm. Why is my acid low? I mean... One thing, if you're maybe if you're 70 years old, another thing, if you're 25, right? Exactly. right? Um, why would my stomach acid be low? And look, there, there can be a variety of reasons, but I truly do think a really significant one is just being stressed out. Absolutely. I mean, it's as, it's as simple and complicated yeah. as saying you're too stressed out. But you know? then when our stomach acid gets low, now we put ourselves at risk for like pathogens. Well, like I, was, I was just going to say that. And further, right? then these pathogens yeah. further deplete yeah. our stomach acid. So it's like chicken egg, you know? Right. Ab- oh, first. absolutely. But I think, Right. I think stress came first. Right. I, often. You know, often I think that's the case, or at least it it, it took something and made it worse. Yes. Maybe it was small and then you stress. Because, yes. look, the common story is, you know, someone had some little niggling health concerns and it, they just sort of either ignored it or they assumed that it was normal, that these little things were going on. And then a period of high stress comes along, you know, whether that's, some sort of school, some sort of work, losing a job or working, having to work super hard, uh, breakups in, in close personal relationships, whether that's, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, uh, close friends, uh, family members, something bad happens, mm-hmm. basically, right? And then health just crashes, so really common story. Oh, and then I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. Then I yeah. was diagnosed with whatever it is. Right. So for a lot of people, this this kind of crushing stress comes along and is the straw that breaks the camel's back. And sure. so whether it causes the problem or just magnifies mm-hmm. some underlying imbalances that were already there. I mean, it, it you know, almost universally, yeah. that's the story for Absolutely. people. Like my RA, lupus whatever it is, mm-hmm. onset after I lost my dad. It was super yeah. traumatic. Yeah. And you see that over and over. Yeah. That some, yeah. it, there is a straw that breaks the camel's back. Yeah. Yeah. But to me, there's still this like underlying low-level grumbling inflammation that's yep. been happening all along yep. that just needed something to like turn it into a raging fire. Right. Absolutely. You know, and you brought this up. I just wanted to mention this about stomach acid. So certainly you you can't digest properly without having stomach acid. Mm -hmm. Um, The second piece is, you know, why are we seeing so much of the SIBO and this dysbiosis? And of course, there are many reasons. There's not just one singular reason. Mm -hmm. But one is that your stomach acid is supposed to sterilize or or at least markedly reduce the, the amount of fungus and bacteria and virus and all uh, other like nasties. It's our first line of defense against right. anything we swallow. Right. Which people don't, people don't like to think about, but we swallow a lot of pathogens right. a day. Right. Enough to, like, you know, kill you if your intestines explode. Right. Right. You know, so we, we, it's important we get in and talked about this in many other places, like good stuff has to come in on a regular basis. So, right, yeah. our fermented foods or probiotics or just getting around out in the dirt and getting yeah. natural kind of exposure. Licking the ground. Licking. Yes, randomly. exactly. Right. Yes. Um, so, you know. Maybe uh, not in the city. No, probably. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> um but of course, we take in a lot of, of a quote unquote bad stuff too. And the, our system is supposed to 
handle that stuff, right? So we have, um, you know, we have all these immune cells around our digestive tract and all this, what's mm-hmm. called secretory IgA or, or kind of immune defensive molecules, yeah. right? We have stomach acid, we have all of these things. Fundamentally, stress, too much stress over too long of a period of time shuts down all of that stuff. Right. 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 And, you know, SIBO, <clears throat> small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, you know, one of the central things that um, that's been really theorized to cause that is uh, impaired movement of the intestine. So that sure. peristalsis you were talking about yeah. before and what stops peristalsis? Sympathetic nervous system activation. Yeah. What causes sympathetic nervous system activation? Stress. Yeah. You or know? a lack of serotonin. Well, I, I, again, there's more than one, there's more than one piece, <laughs> right? Know. Unfortunately, I've like, on this little mental thing lately with ser- the connection with SSRIs and peristalsis, but I'm not going to go there. So um, <laughs> let's get into so nitric oxide. Hey, uh, you know, I appreciate the the positive feedback. I do. That was a and, great uh, lecture. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, I did uh, record it. I haven't actually checked to see how the recording is coming through, so I can't promise, folks. But I am going to try if the recording came out decent. I'll go ahead and put that up so people can listen to the lecture nice. as well. And then can people live stream that on the FX live stream? You know that I know it went out on the live stream, mm-hmm. and um, I know I've gotten some um, messages and stuff that people watched it. Oh, cool. um, But I honestly, and I'll have to check with Keith and Michelle Norris, the the people who yeah. put this this lovely event together, whether people can go back and watch it right. later. I think I don't maybe if you sign up for their new Paleo FX TV that they're doing, oh. then you are able to kind of rewind in time uh, and watch backwards. But I believe for the free live stream event, yeah. it's just like as it's just this weekend okay. or maybe for the next week or something. I, I'm not I, sure I, on the details. I don't know. It's but worth taking a look at. I look mean, if I can get that video and watch it on repeat, I'm going to. Oh, you're making me blush. Epic. So, um, you know, how we really... So, you know, look, nitric oxide is important. If, if most people have heard about it, they've heard about mm-hmm. it because of Viagra. Right. Right. So Viagra, in case you've been hiding under a rock, is a phenomenally uh, popular, you know, impotence drug, right? Impotence means inability to get and sustain an erection. And that makes everybody sad, um, <laughs> you know, because talking about pleasure, enjoyment in life, um, yeah. fulfilling... Uh, uh, healing, nurturing, good sexual relations are critically important for both men and women. And, and one of the issues is our society has really uh, made that a bad thing. I mean, both men and women, women more, but both men and women have kind of been made to feel ashamed of their bodies, of having good, loving worthwhile sexual relationships for themselves, Mm -hmm. right? Um, I know really taboo, but, um, you know, look, having orgasms, like good, healthy orgasms, uh, profoundly shifts people from a sympathetic state into a parasympathetic state. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Uh, So, of course, we can tie it all back, right? But... um, I mean, in theory, right? Like, you, again, have to feel safe with your partner. Of course, of course. But in a moment of orgasm, you, like, hope that you feel very safe. I hope so. Right. (laughs) Right. Like anything in life, look, you know, bad food, you can have bad sexual relationships, right? right? right. You can have, um, we talk about junk food, um, you know, it goes in, but it's not deeply fulfilling right. and nurturing to your body. And right. you can have junk sex as well. And yeah. it can be it's quality, uh, it's again. quality matters. But you know? on the overall bearer perspective, we're seeing a lot of men in this example yeah. who can't sustain an erection. Right. And so there's a lot of reasons, of course. Look, um, you know, putting it out there to men because usually they try to ignore their health as long as possible until it affects their penis, basically. basically and yeah. then, then suddenly yeah. they're rushing penis to the doctor. Involved. Yes. One, one, one. Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, and listen, you know, one of the earliest signs 
of trouble with your circulation, your blood vessels, your heart, right? So then still the number one killer in the U.S. is heart disease, right? Heart attacks yeah. and strokes. And so this isn't something to play with. But one of the earliest signs for guys that the, their circulation is in trouble is erections, mm-hmm. right? That um, makes sense. And not every, you know, not a, every doctor has sort of been trained. If, if, you know, if you come to your doctor and saying, hey, you know, I'm having some issues. Now, of course, there's a lot, we're not making this the sexual function talk, but there's a lot of things. So again, all right, lost batteries there. Uh, so we're back again after a quick battery change. I know, I know. Speaking of... Do- uh, speaking of losing not uh, losing function, yes, function. yes. <laughs> uh-huh. um, so listen, you know, women and guys out there, look, there are a lot of reasons for, uh, you know, for impotence or, or erectile dysfunction. And, and honestly, the first is, is simply just uh, just stress. Right. Sure. Um, you need guys. Uh, performance anxiety is a real thing. You know, because I've heard that it's not just fight or flight. It's fight, flight or Yes. The other F. Yes, the other F. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. Yep. Well, uh, a handy, (laughs) uh, listen, a handy uh, uh, thing we got taught in school uh, regarding uh, male sexual function is point. So the point is Mm -hmm. parasympathetic. Mm -hmm. So in order to get an erection, you need parasympathetic, which is why when you're stressed out, Mm -hmm. freaked out, uh, not going to happen. Right. Right. And then the actual shoot act is uh, sympathetic. So you need both. Parasympathetic That's and sympathetic. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's you need sort of like a metaphor them. for life. Yeah, yeah. So uh, orgasm, a metaphor for life. I, I think I just figured you, out the book that we're going to nice, come together. Nice, nice. I think so. <laughs> Um, so listen, you need, you, you know, to, to tie back and then, and then finish up the topic, you, men need to be able to go into parasympathetic in order to get an erection. And, you know, again, if you're not comfortable, the, the biggest reason, the biggest reason for sexual dysfunction in men and women is that it, honestly, they don't like their partner in some way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. You may love them. Maybe you're having problems with them right now. Right. You just don't feel safe. You don't feel comfortable. Sex is, should be a profound act of relaxation and acceptance and feeling safe and secure and, you know, and, mm-hmm. and all that. And if it's not, aside from that, from a physiologic or biochemical standpoint, men who are having, you know, impotence issues, inability to get or sustain an erection is a warning sign that something's up with your cardiovascular system or your circulation, right? And your heart. And so, listen, things like Viagra can play a role, but fundamentally, you know, guys, speaking as a guy here, stop being stupid, right? And get a thorough checkup because you might be in the early stages of, of really putting yourself at risk for a heart attack. And it, it's not something to just be like, yeah, 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 just give me my Viagra, you know. Uh, but what Viagra does is you need nitric. Uh, so nitric oxide is a little compound. And one of the major things that it does is it tells your blood vessels to relax and open up, which is what Kinsey said earlier. And so to get an erection, you need more blood to flow into the penis than flows out of the penis, right? So mm-hmm. everything gets bigger. And um, so nitric oxide starts that reaction going. There's another compound, uh, you know, it's called PDE5 that ends that reaction. So causes the blood vessels to constrict again and more blood to flow out than flows in. And so Mm -hmm. you lose your erection. Mm -hmm. Viagra works by stopping that PDE5 from functioning. Mm. So the nitric oxide starts the reaction and the Viagra keeps it going and stops it from 
from shutting down, which is why one of the side effects of Viagra can be four hour more erections, right. which is it may sound cool, but it's just not yeah, cool. That's, not cool. That's, like it might be painful. Yeah. 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 Anyway. Um, so people know or may have heard of Viagra through through uh, excuse me, nitric oxide through Viagra. But of course, mm-hmm. it plays a really big role. And, and one of the issues is, you know, what's up with all this high blood pressure? Yes. Right. And again, you know, blood pressure pills have their place for sure. And they can lower blood pressure. They can take people from dangerous places. And so to, many people are on them. Yes. Why? And there, have, and there are many reasons that people are on, that people have high blood pressure. Sure. Um, but, but one of them is low nitric oxide levels. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and, and we'll save, you know, we'll go ahead and make the talk available. And maybe Kinsey and I will get together some other time and dig into nitric oxide yeah. a little bit more. But she uh, has this interesting, uh, you know, theory, something I bumped into before in other ways that I really wanted to spend some time talking about. And that's simply breathing patterns, you know, yeah. that breathing, again, is simple and unsexy as, as it's, it's not the newest high-tech gadget right. or some crazy thing. Right. Um, but simply breathing has an incredibly profound uh, influence. So it's chicken and egg here exactly. because stress causes your breathing to go out of whack. Right. Your breathing, when it goes out of whack, causes your nervous That's system to, to go in a stress, stress. response. So, yeah. so tell us a little bit about how breath and uh, affects, affects our state, affects our nervous system. Yeah. Well, going back to the fight or flight thing, when we are in fight or flight, there, we're breathing differently than when we're in sympathetic. So when we're stressed, we're actually breathing using our neck and shoulders yeah it's what's called your accessory respiratory muscles right and because the function of fight or flight is to help us run away like i said earlier all the blood rushes into your skeletal muscle from your digestive organs to your skeletal muscle so skeletal muscle just for everybody arms and legs and runaway big big runaway muscles (laughs) yep yep okay yep but another but Another thing that happens is to deliver a greater quantity of oxygen to fuel us running away right. to get oxygen to that skeletal muscle that needs the oxygen to to burn, burn and make and energy glycol, and right? yep. Basically, in order to do that, we start using our accessory respiratory muscles. So we literally start breathing with our neck and shoulders and it kind of acts as like a, a pump to pump oxygen into us. Mm-hmm. And when we're in fight or flight, that's we're using our accessory respiratory muscles. Right. Conversely, when we're in a sympathetic rest and digest state, we are breathing as we should be most of the time with our diaphragm. Right. So if you've heard of diaphragmatic breathing, that simply means your diaphragm, the movement of your diaphragm, which is, there's two diaphragms actually, a left and right, and they move up and down. um, And that movement delivers oxygen as well, but a lesser quantity overall Mm -hmm. of oxygen. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So, the diaphragmatic breathing also makes your belly move. Yes. Right. So it's yes. if you've if anybody there's taken yoga or any of those others and the, and you hear this message, you know, make your belly move. So your chest more or less shouldn't move when you're doing right. diaphragmatic breathing, and your belly should yeah, go in and out. Yeah, that's a good way out. of calling it too. Like chest, right. are you a chest breather or right. are you a belly breather? Right. And in this example, like a chest breather would be somebody kind of doing this fight or flight sympathetic breathing right. thing. Right. And a belly breather would, in theory, be using their diaphragm more to facilitate breathing. Right. Right. And if you're using your neck muscles, basically, that can lead to all this. So common, right? All the shoulders, oh shoulder yes. tension. Everybody has right. shoulder and neck pain, right. you know, and right. you can massage them till the cows come home. 
but it's going to maybe temporarily relieve. And then people just think, oh, I'm just tight in my neck and shoulders. Well, there's a reason. And oftentimes it's because they are using their accessory respiratory muscles to facilitate breathing. Because potentially their nervous system is stuck in a state of you know, fight or flight. Right. So obviously, look, it makes sense. If you need to run away from something, you need as much oxygen to go to all your muscles as possible so you can run away. Right. Right. But here's the, and this seems really, um, it it takes a second to get your mind around this. So Mm -hmm. there are really two gases that are involved in, in this whole breathing thing, right? You breathe for for essentially two reasons. Mm-hmm. So everybody knows, okay, right, it, it's to get oxygen into your body. If you, just like a car, to for the engine to go, at least if we're not talking about electric cars, right, but for the engine to go, you have to have oxygen or else yes. it doesn't work. And that's the same with the human body. If you don't have the oxygen, you're not going to live right, very long, right. right? You can't make energy and then your body can't run right. and then b- really bad stuff happens to you. I feel like oxygen gets a little bit more attention and focus than it should right. in a positive respect. Like everybody's right. like, breathe in oxygen. I'm going to go to oxygen chambers. Like oxygen's fantastic. But yes. carbon dioxide, which is kind of it's, you know, there's a balance of right. carbon dioxide and oxygen in the blood. Right. Carbon so dioxide is also really important. Really important. And I don't feel like it gets yeah. enough attention. No, it doesn't. It I does know. not. So we're here to represent that's, CO2 that's today. Right. That's right. We are the lobby for CO2. <laughs> there we you go. Get shirts and buttons. I know, seriously. Um, so the, but the other thing you're doing, so when you're breathing, you are inhaling oxygen. So it can float around in your blood, get to all your cells and, and be used to make energy. But the other thing, if you may remember, when your cells burn oxygen, they put out carbon dioxide, right? And so we're sitting looking out over some beautiful plants. And one, one of the many awesome things that trees and plants do for us is they actually do the reverse the process, opposite. right? So cool. They breathe in carbon dioxide and spit oxygen back out again. We're so like the yin and yin that's of each right. Other. That's right. Well, that's why the Amazon is called the lungs of the world, Aww. you know, right? Of course, we're cutting it down, which is just such a yeah. smart thing to do, it, right? Yeah. Be like, yeah. Anyway, um, so when you're. When you're, when, you're, when you're breathing, you are taking oxygen in, but you are also breathing carbon dioxide back out again. And mm-hmm. so you're exchanging those two gases. And what's interesting, and most people don't know is, so carbon dioxide, so your blood, we have to go on a couple little tangents in order to put yeah. all of this together here. So you may have heard, so people have talked about, oh, acid alkaline balance, right? And then the response is, well, the blood, the acid alkaline balance, also called the pH balance of the blood, is very tightly regulated because if it gets too acid, essentially you die. And if it gets too alkaline, you die. And you need to be like right in the sweet yeah. spot. And the body keeps us there. And it does. It does, absolutely. Well, one of the main things that actually makes the blood more acid is carbon dioxide, Mm -hmm. right? And so um, carbon dioxide, again, just like everything, like nitric oxide and all these other things, too little is bad, too much is bad, and kind of right in that. I call it the Goldilocks. I was just going to say that. Mm -hmm. Jeez. Uh, The Goldilocks (laughs) zone, right in that sweet spot is where we want things to be. So carbon dioxide needs to be in that sweet spot because here's the deal the oxygen rides around on these little hemoglobin molecules so you have your little red blood cells these little donuts essentially right Mm -hmm. that have this molecule called hemoglobin inside them and hemoglobin is the little bus that carries oxygen around your blood right yeah and uh, so to for the hemoglobin to get off the bus go into the actual fluid of your blood and then get into your cells it needs that acid 
uh, alkaline range to be right right in the right zone. Yeah. If the blood gets too acidic, the ox- the oxygen can't get off the bus very well. Yes. If the blood gets too alkaline, the oxygen can't get off the bus very well. Right. So the main thing making the blood uh, acidic is going to be carbon dioxide. Mm-hmm. Okay? So it's this interesting thing that you have to have you can have all the oxygen in the world in your blood and if you don't have enough carbon dioxide to acidify the blood most of that oxygen can't get off so it's this weird issue right that in order to get oxygen you need carbon dioxide it's like us and the plants we need each other you do and so the issue is right if you go into fight or flight because a tiger is chasing you or your body believes a tiger is chasing you you're going to start blowing off a lot of that carbon dioxide dropping the levels of carbon dioxide the technical term is hypocapnia which means uh, you know low carbon dioxide levels and you're mm-hmm. cranking up your oxygen levels now normally this works good because you're going to sprint or you're going to run away or you're going to use all of those muscles really aggressively so that oxygen's going to go in and you're going to be spitting out carbon dioxide like mad mm-hmm. so everything balances out fine it's all good you huff and puff and get everything rebalanced back and then you're all good The problem, of course, is now we go into this fight or flight response. We start blowing off carbon dioxide to get more oxygen in, but then we don't actually move, right? Because you're in your car and you're that traffic, but you're not actually using those muscles to do anything. So your carbon dioxide levels fall, and yet you don't replenish them by using those muscles and cranking out a bunch more carbon dioxide. Interesting. So then your actual ability, so you've got all this oxygen in your blood, but then your cells can't get it. Right. Right. So what does that do? Turns into free radicals. It's just, it's, it's bad, right? It's bad. It sucks all the electrons. It's bad news. Right. Right. It's just bad news Uh. for you, right? So we're in this essentially kind of oxygen deprived state then you can't make enough energy which is weird because you actually have too much you have too much oxygen yeah right Right. and so like you said you know i mean uh, not knocking on them in any way but uh one of the vendors down here at paleo effects they've got an oxygen bar where you can go and breathe more oxygen and that can be okay but actually for certain conditions right Right. And uh, listen, there are there are (laughs) there are hyperbaric oxygen chambers. That's where you, you know, you go and climb in a chamber and they crank in more oxygen and it can be incredibly helpful for for certain conditions. Right. But for a lot of people who are stuck in these fight or flight, you know, the the funny thing is you need uh, you actually need more carbon dioxide. Yes. It's a paradox. Right. Which is why they call this sort of type of breathing paradoxical breathing. Right which is like chest breathing, right? Right. So in diaphragmatic breathing, if you're like laying there, and this is easiest to do if you're laying on your back, when you take a breath in, your stomach should go out. Yes. And when you take a breath out, your stomach should come back in. So they're opposite of each other. Breathe in, stomach out, breathe out, stomach in. Yes. What paradoxical breathing is, is when you breathe in, your stomach goes in. So like if you think about somebody hyperventilating, you know, they're like... You right. know, in stomachs right. going in when their breath is going in. Right. And they're using all those accessory muscles. They're using mm-hmm. accessory respiratory muscles to mm-hmm. facilitate that. Mm-hmm. Because, again, if you're, you know, hyperventilating, you're probably in fight or flight. And yes. you probably do need to, you know, at least your brain thinks you need more oxygen in your muscles to right. facilitate glycolysis to get you the heck out of Dodge away from the tiger. Right. 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 
But what's happened is, and it's again, a chicken and the egg thing. Like I see in my clinical practice, a lot of people and especially women and Mm -hmm. type A ish Mm -hmm. people Mm -hmm. who are Mm -hmm. more perfectionistic Mm -hmm. presenting with what's called paradoxical breathing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you mention it to them and they're like, ah, what's that? Oh my gosh, I didn't know that I was breathing like that. And you tell them how, you know, you should, when you breathe in, it should go out your stomach. And then they, they they freak out, of course, is the first response when they realize that they're not doing that and they actually are paradoxically breathing. Right. But what happens is this is the chicken and the egg. Like eventually your body kind of forgets how to breathe normally with you lose sometimes the ability to use your diaphragm to breathe for you. Mm -hmm. And in my clinical practice, I find a lot of people with what's called a facilitated diaphragm, meaning Uh one or both or generally one of their diaphragms on one side is kind of stuck. Mm -hmm. There may be adhesions involved. It may, whatever reason, it's either not working or it's not working because it's working too hard. Okay. So it's like fibrillating. Kind okay. Of. And is yeah. in a, is like for example, like I my left diaphragm is facilitated, and mm. I've kind of discovered all of this through my own journey mm-hmm. by getting mm. my own diaphragm to move. Mm-hmm. But my left diaphragm, because it's it's like like a little butterfly or hummingbird, it's mm-hmm. so fast that it's incapable of pumping blood into my right chest. I mean, air into my right chest wall. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so. Because my diaphragm is kind of stuck and it's not capable of doing breathing, basically, my neck and shoulders for the past, I don't even know how long, Mm -hmm. have been kind of required to work if I'm going to keep breathing. Right. So people are like, oh my gosh, I'm a chest breather. I'm, you know, I'm a paradoxical breather. I'm going to start diaphragmatically breathing. Mm -hmm. And it's not so easy because as we learn, your brain, you've been, who knows how long I've been a chest breather, right? Right. Who knows how long? It's a reflex at this point. Sure. Yes. And so... People, again, we want this quick solution, right? We want this automatic overnight, I'm going to suddenly be a diaphragmatic breather and all my problems are going to go away and my oxygen carbon dioxide balance is perfect and I vasodilate like no one else. But the reality is this sort of retraining, and like you said, it's not very sexy, right? It's like, okay, you're going to learn how to breathe again. You're going to learn how to eat again. And in my experience, you're going to learn how to walk again because a lot of people also don't know how to walk properly or we've got a lot of like deviation and torsion happening in our bodies, like simple stuff. We don't know how to hold our bodies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's not that we don't know how. It's just that a lot of us develop these crutches, as I like to call them, and patterns. And then stuff, you know, like we develop these habitual patterns and then stuff gets stuck there and then things quit working and it's not so quick to get that left diaphragm and I can tell you because I've been practicing every day and it's still difficult to get my left diaphragm to fire but guess what it is firing now and it wasn't firing before and so what I've discovered through my journey to kind of loop this back to the autoimmune disease is I found that there actually is a huge correlation between how I breathe and autoimmunity mm. and mm-hmm. moreover how i breathe and my mental state mm, definitely because yeah. it was like i was neck and chest breathing well that was telling my amygdala in my brain which is the part of your brain which uh, perceives threats right this chest and neck breathing thing i've been doing forever was telling my brain that i was in fight or flight so it said okay there's a stressor we don't know what it is but you're in stress and then the amygdala sends a signal back to my neck and shoulders like keep breathing because we're in stress and there's this feedback loop happening and at some point it's like how do you break that loop yes yes um in fact there it speculated that upwards to 10 percent of the population has what's called you know a hyperventilation disorder and Mm -hmm. i think it's actually way more than that Mm. these people who are chest breathing yes they have too much oxygen in their blood Mm -hmm. and so again bringing it back to that 
oxygen carbon dioxide balance. You were talking earlier, Dr. G, about the relationship between nitric oxide and carbon dioxide. Mm -hmm. And so when I asked you that question at the end of your awesome lecture about, well, what's this low NO thing about? Like, why are people presenting with low nitric oxide, with high blood pressure? And of course, there's a ton of reasons. Right. But I have to wonder if one of them is this paradoxical breathing Mm. that people are doing. Mm -hmm. Because quite frankly, because quite literally, they are delivering too much oxygen which thereby drives, you know, therefore drives down our carbon dioxide. And as you were saying, carbon dioxide is the molecule that stimulates the enzyme to convert into nitric oxide. So yes. what do you think about that? Because like that's pretty out there. Sure. Sure. Well, we're, you know, I mean, look, we can say this on a couple of levels. I certainly find, you know, we talked about anxiety earlier and how anxiety <clears throat> comes from an evolutionary place. And yet, um, you know, it's epidemic in our society. And certainly uh, we find that a lot of people with anxiety have this paradoxical breathing. Because, mm-hmm. again, it's, it's chicken and egg here. And so, you know, an anxiety is a stress response. It is concern about the future. And, of course, yes. there can be really legitimate reasons to be anxious. We kind of talked about some of those. Mm-hmm. And then, but for most people on a day-to-day basis, anxiety is not protective and it is not, um, it's not really grounded yeah. in anything. It's worrying about it's lots of... It's not real. Of, it, it's not real, yeah. you know? And, I mean, it is real, but well, it's yes. n- not necessarily necessary. Right. Let, let's put that together. The anxiety is real. Yes. What the anxiety is about right. the is threat most may of the or time, may not be real. Most of the time, for most, thankfully for most of us isn't real. Right. And I blogged a lot. I wrote a whole blog just about how we only have one stress response and how it is triggered fight or flight every time our brain perceives a threat, whether real or imagined. Right. So, you know, if some girl like walks by me on the street and gives me a dirty look and I choose to be offended by that, Yep. You know, or I could be the type of personality where she gives me a dirty look and I don't even notice. I'm just not phased. Right. Like the same event just happened, but the brain can take it one of two ways. Right. Which essentially like, I mean, that's it right there. It's yeah. like the fork in the road. Yeah. And that is like, again, why I ask people, is this worth your inflammation? Right. Is this worth your stress? Right. Because every decision, every second, everything we encounter is a fork in the road. Right. And we choose how we react to it. Am I going to allow this to be a stress? You know, and it's not so much allow it, but... You know, like what am I, how, and I like to literally think about it. Like what set of nerves am I going to turn on for mm. this situation? Cause I'm a, a, you know, an anatomist. So like in, when I mentally picture this in my head, like I'm going to activate my parasympathetic nerves instead of my sympathetic in this situation. To me that I feel like hey. helps me. Oh, absolutely. Look, everybody, you know, find your way. But I, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I can tell you, look, uh, getting here to paleo effects, uh, if people have been following the Facebook page, they saw, you know, I was delayed about eight hours. Ooh. Uh, supposed to get in at six six ish in the evening. I got in about four a.m. So you know, out of Seattle. Out of Seattle. Well, who's your airline? I know. That seriously. Sucks. Well, we had a connection in Denver, oh. and there was a huge storm in Denver. So we went and sat. Um, oh no! The name's escaping me right now. We went and sat in a little regional airport in Colorado for a few hours. Missed my flight. Had Crap. to catch a later flight. Then that flight, we c- were coming into Austin, and that f- there was a storm over oh Austin. So then gosh. we got di- we got diverted again to San Antonio. No. I had to sit in San Antonio for another couple of hours before we finally landed here. And that's why I flew direct. Oh, look at you! Four you hours. Were, you were smart. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, when it first happened, right, they're saying, hey, you know, we're going to a circling pattern over Denver, waiting to see if the storm's going to clear. And you're like, okay. Then we get news. Hey, we're running out of gas. We can't stay up. So we got to divert. I can see how that would send you into fight or flight. You know, so 
uh, you know, in this, listen, and I'm far from perfect. I stress out about a lot of stuff. But in this particular instance, I was able to step back and say, listen, you know, I could get all freaked out about this, uh, work myself up, be mad, upset, you know, stressed out. Or, you know, really look at the situation. Do I honestly have any control, control. in no, this situation? The answer, of course, there's absolutely nothing I can do. Right. Either we're delayed or we're not delayed. I'm going to catch my flight or I'm not going to catch my flight. Right. You know, I will get there eventually, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. and, and it is what it is. And, you know, I know for me, it made the experience that much better. I mean, obviously, I didn't like sitting around for eight hours, but you got a story. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, it was what it was. And I didn't spend the whole time pissed off and angry and, yeah. you know, freaking out. It was just like, well. A lot well, of people would be. Choose you know, a lot of people. Run that energy. Well, they don't, you know, they don't know they have a choice. Yes. Right. I think that is what it comes down they to. They don't we know don't they have a choice. We don't realize that we are faced with these opportunities, these forks in the road every single second. Yeah. We can choose how we decide to view a yep. situation. Yep. And that's where things like, you know, why we talk about things like meditation and in this instance, breathing as well. So mm-hmm. your your state affects your breathing, but the cool thing is it goes the other way. Your yes. breathing affects your state. Yes. And so, listen, I, I'm not here to minimize anxiety can be extremely bad and, and, you know, breathing cannot always get rid of anxiety, but especially for the more low-grade anxiety that, that many many people deal with a lot of Mm -hmm. simply just like we said you know before you sit down for a meal taking five minutes is great but even taking 20 seconds or 30 seconds I know you know I often ask people um, just a simple kind of actual looking looking at your food uh, whether it's internally or, or saying it out loud, just simply kind of taking just a moment to be grateful for the food that's on your plate in front of you. Because listen, lots of people around the world, they don't get to sit down to a nice full plate of whatever it right. is, right? And then they don't get to post it on Instagram. Right, and I that's know. super sad. Oh. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, and then taking at least a couple of nice deep breaths. Even just that, you know, yeah. 30 seconds, one minute, hey, five minutes is even better. But even just taking a moment yeah. uh, to catch yourself beforehand um, in the same way, when people find themselves worked up or anxious, uh, stressed out, um, taking even just a simple one minute or a couple of minutes just to really focus. Uh, if you can lay down, that's awesome. But sometimes just kind of sitting comfortably in a chair, you know, putting your hands on your belly mm-hmm. um, and really focusing on pushing, taking slow, deep breaths, pushing your belly out um, and just kind of relaxing the, he- the your neck and shoulders and everything. I mm-hmm. mean, it's you can do it anytime and you can see, you know, the profound difference it makes in your mood because yeah. your system starts to st- lip out of the stress response into a more parasympathetic response it's like you know uh, fake it till you make it absolutely you know if you can't like because really it's what we're talking about here is just this like reflex loop that has to be broken yes because it's like who knows what it is a chicken and the egg what came first the stress or the paradoxical breathing we don't know we really don't care yes but the where can we break the reflex loop and what we do have control over is our breathing yes we can that's just like one of the only functions that's autonomic that we yeah. can actually control yes. and that's pretty cool yes a lot of other animals actually can't control their breathing yeah we are a lucky lucky animal yeah. that we actually and to me can like the universe gave nature gave us all of the medicine that we need and it's kind of in the things that we have control over breath we have control over water and hydration and the food we put in our bodies and how we move our bodies and that's pretty much it 
Well, we like to. I always like to say, listen, health. Health is pretty simple. There are a handful of. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Handful of basic things: eating good quality food, moving your body on a regular basis, getting enough sleep, and good quality yeah. sleep at night. To this point, managing your stress levels. Listen, we don't even ask people anymore if they're stressed out right. because, Hello. like, who isn't stressed right. out anymore, right? Yes. Maybe the rare retired person, or I did have one guy, he was early into Microsoft and had made his millions and millions of dollars and sort of he was just like, I do what I want with my days, but obviously he was having some health issues. That's why he was seeing sure. me, but, but stressed. And that's stressed yeah, yeah, it is. It is. You know, um, but we don't even ask anymore because people are stressed yeah. out. It's not... Getting rid of stress. Yeah, we cannot get right. rid of the stress, but right. how, what we can do is change the way that we react to it right. and retrain our right. brain right. to perceive whether or not things are worth our stress. Right. And I kind of like to think about it like I have a limited amount of stress in this life. What am I going to allocate it to? Right. Is right. this girl giving me a weird look on the street worth it? Yeah. No, it's yeah. not worth yeah. it. Yeah. You know? And so I like the whole like fake it till you make it thing because. The breathing, the diaphragmatic breathing is something that we can practice. It's like an exercise and you might not be good at it at first, but it is the one thing that's going to help the brain to literally, it's like difficult to be stressed out when you're diaphragmatically breathing, you know, like it sort of turns off that part of your brain or at least turns down the intensity of its sensitivity, the amygdala, the part that that senses threats in the air. It's our little threat sensor in the environment, you know? Yes. And when we're breathing with our diaphragm, suddenly that's like, it's like rocking a baby. You're like, oh, it's okay. Yep. Yep. And we fake it till we make it because if you're like me and you're a paradoxical breather, the second you stop thinking about diaphragmatically breathing, your neck and shoulders are going to take over again. Yeah, yeah. And then... And that's stressful. Dang right. it. Why can't I do this? <gasps> so again, it comes back to a little self-love for yourself, right? It does. You, and time you know. is our friend. Yeah. And practice makes perfect. And this isn't going to happen overnight. And forgiving ourselves when we, you know, fail. And recognizing it's not a fail. It's just part of this journey. Right. You know, we didn't become this way overnight. Right. We're certainly not going to undo whatever it is we're trying to undo overnight. Right. But I do think if we take that time pressure off of us and say, I like to tell myself, you know what? I may, if I, if I can diaphragmatically breathe the day that I die, and if it takes me that long to be able to actually like automatically, reflexively, diaphragmatically breathe, it's worth it. I want to put in the effort. I recognize I may or may not like get there ever, but I don't care. Yeah. It's something that I've decided is true and I'm going to work towards it, but I'm not going to stress myself out when I find my shoulders and when I'm chest breathing, you yeah. know, it's yep. just... Because it defeats the point. Right. Because if you get stressed out about getting stressed out, you, that, you know doesn't, what? that doesn't I work so I love that often. quote from Mark Sisson. He says, stressing about stress is what makes stress so stressful. <laughs> that really awesome. sums it up. No, it really does. You know, and again, so let's wrap this all together. There's always so much to talk about, Kinsey. It's a pleasure. I know. I feel like we Absolutely. could go on forever. Absolutely. But and the we'll, moral of the story is stress kills your boner. So... <laughs> You know, breathe with your diaphragm. That's right. That's right. There you go. <laughs> well, no, the, that's all awesome. The moral of the story is, look, you know, food, we're here at Paleo FX. The center point of what the paleo movement grew out of was the paleo diet in one form or another. Right. And, you know, I know it's being talked about this year that diet is kind of the starting place, but it is not the ending place. 
right? What I tell people is if you don't eat a healthy diet, you cannot be healthy. But just eating a healthy diet does not mean that you'll be healthy. Yes. Kind of sucks, but it's the truth. You know, there are these other pieces. And so, listen, if you have a serious autoimmune condition like Kinsey did or like so many other people do or did, a good starting place is your diet. It's great. Diet's one of the biggest stressors. It is. You know, so, you know, whether it's the paleo diet, the autoimmune paleo diet, some sort of elimination diet or on and on and on. Mm -hmm. Right. But it's certainly a good starting place. And you may find that it makes a huge difference in in what's going on for you. Mm -hmm. You know, but but I think Kinsey's story here is really awesome because she did find so much success with the diet, but also did find that these other pieces need to be addressed years down the road. Right. Which was interesting. Right. Absolutely. And they are. And really, I think, again, it's still all stress, though. It still all boils down to stress because diet's a stressor. Like all these stressors take these different forms. And it's just like slowly but surely addressing all these stressors in our lives. And like, how can I what can I do to make this the best as possible, you know, to give myself the best shot? Right. Absolutely. And And that to me is the journey. And that's why I don't like to say like this is a journey. When people decide to do paleo, it is not just a diet. It is a lifestyle. And they say that over and over. But it is. It's a journey if you really want to make it that. Well, life is is a journey, right? Mm -hmm. And we can either be moving in the direction of, you know, supporting our health, our well-being, our quality of life, our, uh, you know, if you will, kind of making sure that this life is worth living. Yeah. Right. Or we can ignore all that stuff and focus on just getting stuff done and, um, you know, jumping from one emergency to the next, which is how most people are real or imagined emergencies, right? right? Which is how most people are living their lives. And And what the Buddhists describe as the manic monkey mind. Yep. Yep. For sure. And so, you know, one simple... Uh, but not easy way is working with the breath. Yes. Right. Even if you especially even or especially if you have some, you know, low grade anxiety or even more significant anxiety, uh, you know, one step can be working on some breath yeah. training, and working maybe with even yourself. if you have high blood pressure or yes. if you have some of these other yes. conditions which are related to a deficiency in nitric oxide right. or at least thought to be somehow correlated right. to right. that. Well, again. In the same way, listen, if you work on your breath, the worst thing that's going to happen is you're just a less stressed out person right. and therefore a happier person. Uh, and because you're happier, more people won't want to be around you. Right. So just like saying, look, even worst case scenario, you devote some time, energy and money to getting your breath in shape, uh, just like, you know, eating a healthier diet. Maybe it doesn't affect your your health condition, but overall it makes you healthier and happier and that's a damn good side effect to have from something right absolutely agree awesome well kinsey we're gonna have you back again to talk more because it's always just so fun chatting with you absolutely thank you so much absolutely finding me and asking me to chat today oh lovely it's a true honor yes so where can if people um want to hear more about you where can they find you uh, my own website is being launched actually in the Ooh, next few weeks, exciting. so I'm super excited. And yes. that's uh, under my name, KinseyJackson.com. And also right now I'm the content manager over at PaleoPlan.com, and I do a lot of writing and blogging and recipe writing and nutrition consulting there as well. So and we've got a huge website with tons of information about the paleo diet okay. and 
uh, we write meal plans for folks who are just getting started with paleo to yeah. try to take some of the stress out of making that transition. Nice. Um, we do everything so that you just kind of follow the instructions nice. and start eating paleo. Nice. Because it can be, you know, making these changes can be very overwhelming for people. Yeah, exactly. And the exactly. kind of the simpler, at least when people are dipping their toes in, kind of the simpler and easier it is for people to do, yeah. uh, the, the better success people are going to have. And then, of course, as you, you know, we, we bang this drum as you get into it, personalize it, find out what works best for you, what you like, what's sustainable, what you can do and uh, make it your own. But yeah. especially when people are starting, yeah. uh, just getting it just easier is better. And then realize basically. it's going to change because it, the yep. path is just winding and things are constantly evolving. And yep. I would have it no other way. <laughs> wouldn't it be nice if it were a little easier sometimes? But it wouldn't be as interesting. It wouldn't. You I know? mean, we wouldn't get as good as stories out of it. I know. Yeah, that's part <laughs> of the point. All right, Kinsey, we will talk again soon. Uh, so, again, they can, you've got a website coming up, KinseyJackson.com, in the yeah. near future, and they can find you at, is that paleoplan.com? Yeah, paleoplan.com okay. in the present. Awesome. <laughs> and then you have a practice as well? Do you I have, do. You I have a clinical practice, and I practice functional nutrition and movement. Okay. Um, so, it's kind of a dual sided. And, and where's that? Up in Bellingham, Washington. Bellingham, yeah. Washington. Not too far from, from Seattle. I know. Which is, I know. I'm just I north know. of you. I know. We're going to have to meet in the middle somewhere. Uh, absolutely. All right, folks. If this has been interesting, enjoyable, hope so. And until we talk again, take care. All right, folks, that wraps up another episode of the Aspire Natural Health podcast. If you enjoyed it, we hope you've subscribed to us over at iTunes. You can also check us out at our website, www.aspirenaturalhealth.com. That's Aspire as in A-S-P-I-R-E, naturalhealth.com. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash aspirenaturalhealth or check out our library of videos over at YouTube. Just go over to YouTube and punch in Aspire Natural Health. You'll find us there. So a couple great more ways you can check out our free educational materials. At Aspire Natural Health, we are experts at treating gut dysfunctions, autoimmune diseases, and other hard-to-treat cases. If you that's you or someone you know, you can always contact us and schedule a free 15-minute consult with myself and find out if we are the right fit and we can help you out with your issues. So simply check us out, check out our website. Again, that's www.aspirenaturalhealth.com or give us a call at 425-202. 7849. You can set up that free 15 minute consult. All right, folks, until we meet again, take care.